see our producer, Show Alley. Tell him my glasses are dirty. He brings me screen clean wipes. McKee's in trouble. When's, when did McKee ever bring you screen Sammy. clean? Sammy! <laughs> what was Jen? Okay. Hey, Jen. <laughs> but, but you actually delivered them to me. That, t- that gets a little credit. You still get points, Show. Yeah. yeah. Sammy, nothing. No. All I know is I look up Sammy's on another bathroom break. <laughs> that's all. That's all. That's the whole day. Never know what you're going to get. Some days he's invested. Some days, you know. The Toronto Maple Leafs face the Vancouver Canucks. <laughs> we will wait momentarily for head coach Bruce Brudrow, but we got a few minutes to kind of tee it up a little bit. Jack Campbell ready. All of a sudden, right back into the frying pan. Yeah. Saturday against, night. Saturday night against arguably one of the best goalies in Demko. Yeah. That's a tough ask for a guy that's still working on maybe ironing out a few issues. Yeah. No, it's, I, I love this matchup just because the, the Canucks are flying. This is a, a team that is making a legitimate playoff push right now in that Pacific division. Uh, they score goals. You know, they're only a handful of points out of playoffs. As I mentioned at the top of the show, 19, eight and four since Bruce took over. You know, Leafs got their hands full. And frankly, the Leafs are better when they look at an opponent and go, okay, we got to play tonight. And that's one thing Dubas said in his presser today, too. He's like, are the Leafs Leafs going to look at Vancouver and say, we learned a valuable lesson against the uh, Buffalo Sabres? 7-3-0 in their last 10. I think if you're Sheldon Keith, you can big the team up a little bit and try to sell them. That is a tough part as a coach. You like... You can't sell every team like they're the, you know, the whatever, the Tampa Bay Lightning. So how do you and get your team to care? You also have that factor where Vancouver comes in, whether it's the organization or the fans, they hate Toronto. They hate everything about Toronto. They even hate Hockey Night in Canada because they know the Leafs get 20 minutes of the pregame yeah. and they'll give Vancouver like three minutes and... Leaf fans like Sammy will try to explain to them. The Leafs make all the money you know, for Sportsnet. Not I grew you up guys. out west. I grew up out west, and I I was surprised when I moved here because out west the reputation for Toronto and Torontonians in general, I would say, is that arrogant, aloof, all, you know, like the big city think you're so important, you know, whatever. And I figured that Vancouver wouldn't even matter to Toronto. And I came here and people still hate Vancouver just as much. Just a bunch of sushi eating hipsters. And, you know, like it's, I really enjoy that. There's this sort of, yes. there's genuinely like a, genuinely. A, a, a rivalry. And and there is a true difference in the city and the demeanor, I think, yeah. having lived in both places. Yeah. It's great. Bring well, it. they just feel they don't get enough respect. Vancouver. Kevin Bieksa mentioned so much as much on hockey get in the Canada respect that, that, that they the want, that. and an easy way to combat that or go, uh, send him. a message. Exactly, come yeah. and do what the Buffalo Sabers did. Yeah, and it's it's a legitimate thing in Toronto that maybe sometimes we gloss over. Like teams do get up knowing that the attention is there. God, you come play Toronto. I have thought Mark Pissick is a good goal scorer for so long because he came to Toronto once and scored two goals in the, on, you know, yeah. on the fourth line for the Panthers. Haven't seen him play a shift since, I don't think, or at least noticed him. But it, it really matters. You come here and perform or not perform, and people will remember. Damon Severson didn't play that two-on-one well. I'll remember that So forever. we'll try to squeeze as much as we can out of Bruce uh, 
when we hear from him uh, in a few minutes. But what do you expect now in the next two and a half weeks when it comes to the Vancouver Canucks? Because we have heard Brock Besser, mm-hmm. and we have heard uh, some other names. JT but Miller. JT Miller. Can they really trade him right now? I don't how, get, how will I don't that go over? I can't wait to ask Bruce. Yeah. Well, he was funny when, when talking about it. You know, he was asked about it earlier in the week, and he basically said, no one has mentioned it to him, but like, you know, if we can get Connor McDavid for him, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Yeah, I guess it's it's about with Vancouver, like if you trade a guy like JT Miller, like what direction are you trying to go in? Like you want good players. He's only twenty eight. He's not thirty eight. Is that if you don't want a guy like that, I don't I guess I don't fully understand what the plan is. Tyler Mott's name came up recently. How do you like him for the Leafs, by the way? I didn't get a chance where, to though? rebut you where, and Doug where, where? complaining about the third line here. Like, Camp Kasha and Mikheyev, they've been yeah. unbelievable this year. And do they look like Goodrow and okay, Coleman? Hold, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. You are the same guy that wrote an article about Kasha and can he stay healthy? Right. And now you're telling me he's going to be great when in the present. third line, playing every other night for two months to win a Stanley Cup. Which one is it, JB? Is, well, he, is he the guy with the glass jaw, or is he the tough guy that you need in the third line every he's, he's night? He's the guy with the granite jaw who gets it punched 6,000 times a day, <laughs> and eventually even granite will give away. Can he hang in there every other night punishing so hockey? So that's a very valid question. That, that, that's, the third, that's, the, that's what Doug's asking yeah. on the third line. Because the the way those guys play with the speed and the length and the forechecking is, okay. is playoff hockey. Forechecking, mm-hmm. length, they can treat either guys who can surprise you with an offensive yeah. contribution. I look at regular season hockey and I bump it up about 40%. I love that playoff hockey of intensity because so it is very and it's, different. It's significant. I still and think these guys can hang. Do you remember the first goal against Buffalo where Mitch Marner's along the wall? And I, I don't know if it's uh, Elaine and came out and challenged him. And I think he, he poked a stick at him a little bit. See, I just think in the playoffs, someone's going after Mitch and eliminating him. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't get that extra second to make that perfect pass to bunting. Yeah. And that's that's the difference for me yeah. between regular season and the playoffs. I guess for the line I'm talking about here, they are supposed to be the guys on the other side of this, taking away the time and space, making a little bit harder, disrupting pucks a little bit. You know, the expectation on them, is it really harder, the game, for the third line guys? It's way harder for the offensive guys. Okay. Way harder. Yes. Talk to the hand. Because Yes. Because we got the man. Oh, sorry. The myth. What am I talking for? The legend. These three words mean you're getting busy. There it is. Hit me. Ladies and gentlemen, Bruce Boudreaux. Do you even have time to coach? <laughs> what do you mean? I don't, you're, you've gone to another level. You are a star right now. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, as long as I stay on radio, I'm okay. They don't have to look at me. <laughs> 19 and 8 and 4 since you took over. We've seen other teams make coaching changes like Philadelphia, like Winnipeg. Not that much success. 
So what is it that has made you 19, 8, and 4? And, and just don't say, figure it out, it's all me. No, it's, it's not all me. Um, I, I don't really know. I think these guys um, wanted, to, wanted to play. They just, uh, there was something missing. And I don't, uh, uh, I don't know, put my finger on it because I, I don't really change too much on any of the teams that I've gone. I, I, I just, I am me and I just do what I do. And um, for the most part, it tends to work until about the fourth year. That's <laughs> <laughs> just coaching. That the cycle? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know, a lot well, of your teams, when I, I see, you know, you, you come in, you bring that uh, good attitude and uh, things seem to be a little bit lighter. That's definitely been the case in Vancouver. But teams seem to score more, too. Do you coach offense or do you just, you know, free guys up to be the people they are? You know, I think that's a good point. Because uh, uh, if anything, I coach defense right. and try to be m- way more defensive. Because when, when I was a player, everybody said you couldn't play defense and you had Roger Nielsen and you start to learn how to play defense from these guys and, uh, and stuff. Cause I was, a, I was basically an offensive player, but um, no, I mean, it, you've made a good point is, is I think one of the things I do is I don't put too many rules into place and uh, you know, I want them to, to be themselves and to do what they want to do. And everybody loves to score. I just, yeah. I want them to, to play hard, but be responsible. I mean, when we have the puck, let's, let's try to score. Let's do whatever we can. Let's forecheck like crazy. Um, when we don't have the puck, let's make sure we're trying to play the 200 foot game and get back into position. So, I mean, um, they, you know, we didn't score at the beginning, but they're starting to now they're starting to get a little bit better on the forecheck and stuff. And, and, you know, scoring, uh, beget scoring. In other words, if you score a couple of goals, you feel good about yourself, and then all of a sudden you start. It starts to become a little bit easier, and uh, um, we're we're nowhere near at the level of the Leafs, but at least we're better than we were when we started. And as the Leafs found out in the first thirty-five games, and as you constantly are reminded, when things do break down, it's awfully nice to get a huge save. And uh, Demko's been that guy for you. And uh, what is it about him? What do you like about him? Is there anyone that you, you can compare him to from your previous coaching uh, gigs? You know, he's, he is so good. Um, uh, you know, it, it's hard to compare him, but I mean, with size, uh, he's about the same size as Freddie Anderson. Um, he's got the mobility. Uh, I think he might be a little taller than Freddie, actually. But um, he, he is definitely a, a workhorse. He gets out there a half an hour before every practice, and he works with Ian Clark before practice. He really studies his craft. Um, he, I mean, I've been blessed with having some really good young goalies, but he might be the best good young goalie that I've had. Yeah, he's exceptional, no doubt about that, and obviously kept you guys in a lot of good game or a lot of games. Um, he's just about the only name that we haven't heard in like trade rumors. And it's, it's gotta be annoying for you guys. Frustrating. You know, you're trying to climb into playoff contention. Is it where on the team? You guys sick of talking about it? Cause I, I know we bring up a Canucks name just about every day here on this show. Unfortunately. You know, it's funny. You, 
you bring that up because I was talking to uh, Patrick Alvin this morning at breakfast, and and I said, man, being in a Canadian city, do they want everybody on the team traded? Every day you pick up the, you look at the media, and I mean, a new guy is getting sent out of town. And I'll be honest, uh, straightforward, we haven't talked one word as players to coach about trade is there rumors about me is it a possibility not one word has ever been said i haven't heard one player i haven't heard jt miller who's in everybody's trade trade list say one word about anything as far as that's concerned he goes out and he tries as hard every night uh for the vancouver canucks and unless he's the greatest actor in the world all i know is he cares about the vancouver canucks so if you wake up tomorrow morning and three of your veterans are gone, including J.T. Miller, would, would, will one word be said from you? <laughs> It'll be a four-letter word, too. <laughs> <laughs> so you have no idea whether you're buyers or sellers. You're just paid to coach. I'm paid to coach. Who's ever there is there. I mean, I think everybody is committed to this for a long time now in this team to trying to make the playoffs. Uh, you know, I mean, it, it, it's obviously a pretty uphill climb because we've had to climb over so many teams and we're not there yet. And every time we get close, uh, every loss is like a four is like losing two or three. Yeah. Uh, but it, they come back and, and the next game they play, they play really good. So, I mean, um, they believe that they, they've got a chance at this. And uh, that's all that matters because if you get in, you, you know, I've been on the other side when you have the best team in the world and you get in and you face the eighth-place eighth, eighth place team and uh, they beat you. So, I mean, uh, I know anything can happen. So let's, we're still focused on, on that approach right now. We're speaking with Bruce Boudreaux, head coach of the Vancouver Canucks, who are in town in Toronto, marquee game on Hockey Night in Canada. Bruce, over the years that you've coached in the National Hockey League or even your recollection of, of being in an NHL dressing room, uh, attitudes change. Can you feel your players going towards a trade deadline? For me, I knew around the trade deadline I wanted to shower and get the hell out of there before someone pulled me in their office. <laughs> can you feel it at all? Um, I, I really can't. I mean, maybe I'm naive. Uh, and like from what I've been saying, nobody's talking about it. Nobody's anything. I mean, uh, this is the one team I've ever, ever coached that they, they, they're on the ice longer than any team. I, they don't come off. They, they hang around. Um, it's, uh, it's pretty amazing, uh, quite frankly, in that respect, but I can understand what you were saying. Like, I mean, I had the same feeling when I thought they were, guys were getting healthy and I was going to get sent back to the minors. I got in and out before they could grab me and there was no cell phones. So as soon as I made it out the door, I was just, everything was off until the next day. Even, even one more day of NHL paycheck eh, is, is worth getting out of there early. Oh yeah. man. Like I, I would look and see which way Red Kelly was looking, which way Mike Nicolak was looking, Roger Nielsen. As soon as they turned their back, I was gone. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, Anthony Stewart, as mentioned on this show in the past, he used to hide in the sauna, <laughs> trying to avoid the guy. So it's a common thing. Um, you know, thinking about you saying these guys are on the ice all the time and they're not uh, coming into your office and discussing the situation, do you feel like you have 
a, a, a sort of a, di- a different group of personalities there. I think about the, some of the superstars that you would have coached in Washington and um, even some other places you've been. Is this a unique team personality-wise, or, or what is it about this group that feels different from other groups? Well, they're, they're, they're really quiet, and there is no real um, uh, bona fide superstar. Right. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, right now, I mean, Quinn Hughes is going to be um, uh, in 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 time if he's not already, but he's such a quiet, just a hockey guy. He wants to, he wants to know the stats of everybody else and everything else. I mean, um, JT, uh, has just, you know, been a hardworking guy that was always a good piece. He was like a third line guy in Tampa. Um, now he's, you know, one of the better players on Vancouver, which was never like a team like Tampa type thing. And he was just a, a piece on the Rangers team. Um, so you can't really call him a superstar, even though he does everything, you know, you would like a superstar to do. Um, so, I mean, they're all like nobody is in the clouds above anybody else. Everybody sort of is to get in together, sort of in the same same uh, uh uh, same boat, so to speak. So, I mean, uh, in, in that respect, it's different. I don't have a Getzlaff. I don't have a, a Parisi. I don't have a, a Oveskin or Bas- Backstrom in their prime. Um, so it's like everybody just comes to work, and and it's uh, they're they're young, and uh, they just they just try hard. Like, and that's why sometimes we have such um, big uh, discrepancies in in the games where we can lose seven two to Jersey uh, after finishing beating um, the Rangers and Calgary in back-to-back games. I mean, go figure. I mean, the, the consistency isn't always there yet, but uh, I know the care is always there. Is it a given Pedersen will get there, you know, along with Hughes into that superstar status, or has he got work to do? It's funny because I was thinking of him when I didn't mention his name. <laughs> and he's, he, he's another guy. And you know what? I put him with uh, all the – third line guys for the most of the part and he makes them better and that's the biggest thing i mean he, he's not uh austin getting a chance to play with mitch type thing uh he's he, you know he's his line mates are um garland and hoglander and i mean it's uh, but he he's such a great passer and stick handler and when he's playing on it and he's got such a great shot when he's on his game he makes everybody better around him and so i think there's the possibility that that could happen at at some point i mean he's still a pretty young guy and and last year was sort of a lost year for him due to injuries but i mean i think i think it could get there Bruce, the topic of conversation around leaf nation has been uh team toughness and whether they have it and i would think as a coach you going in at your meetings tomorrow, you're reminding them that you can go run Morgan Riley or John Tavares and you won't get challenged too much. That would be my, my speech to them. Well, we don't have anybody to really to do that either. I mean, um, but today's game isn't like 1994 either. So uh, it's, it's a little bit different, uh, you, you know, and, but I mean, all I know when we talk about the Leafs and the, is, is that, when they played us, I was mesmerized at how fast they were and how good they were. And, I mean, Demko stopped 50 shots that night. And if he wasn't absolutely on top of his game, um, you know. Yeah, they can embarrass you. They can embarrass you. They can embarrass you in a hurry. And uh, so which 
to my point was I was really not happy to see what Buffalo did the other night because right. um, might, we might be getting into a, a, a battle with a, a ticked-off group tomorrow, morning, tomorrow night, I think. But um, uh, I don't know what they need. I mean, quite frankly, they're, they're so good. I mean, uh, if, they're, if, if they can stay away from injuries, I think they're going to be a pretty tough team to beat, even though when you look at that thinking division they're in, um, one of the two teams that they're going to play, it's either going to be Tampa or Florida, and uh, those are great teams as well. Yeah, and that's something we've talked about in the show is like you know we saw Tampa two games ago Sorelli fights last game Braden Point goes at a guy they just have that willingness um, you know Florida has uh, Brown throws a hit in Ottawa and, and two guys on Florida go to fight Brown they, they use that willingness too and we're trying to figure out just how important it is because the Leafs don't seem to have that element do you think it's crucial to have that to have uh, have success? I mean, I don't know. Um... Quite frankly, I think it's always it's always great to have it. Right. I think Tampa thought they needed it, and they went out and got some more grit, and and they became really uh, you know cup winners. I think uh, the Rangers didn't have it, uh, and they went out and they got some got some grit, and now they're one of the best teams in the league. So I mean, whether Toronto needs it or doesn't need it, I'm not the one to answer that question. Uh, as a coach, I always used to like to have it because. When one of our guys would win a fight, I felt bigger because I never won a fight in my life. So it was, <laughs> it was, always, good. It was always good. So, um, but I mean, uh, like I said, I think that I watch them every night. I mean, uh, especially now that you're in 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 Vancouver. I mean, we get them at four o'clock most of the time before our games, and so and they still mesmerize me with their talent. So I mean, uh, they got enough talent to win any cup. Um, uh, whether they get the luck to do it. Uh, and we all know, uh, Nick, especially, like, I mean, uh, as great a team as you guys were in 94, um, that you have to have luck to win this yep. thing. So, I mean, uh, it, it's it's going to take that to, to win. So uh, the best teams might not win, but the, the teams that everything falls in a row, like the aligns, uh, aligns properly, are going to get a chance to win the Cup. Before we let you go, are you are you still doing your your cameos in your memos? Because it's oh, it's God. it's Gord Stellick's birthday next month, and I can't afford your hundred dollars. So can you just give a <laughs> can you do it now for Gord Stellick? First of all, it's fifty bucks, and uh, <laughs> and and it's Canadian at that. Uh, <laughs> so and. And like I wouldn't, I couldn't say anything on the radio to Gord um, <laughs> that would get through the get through the proper channel. I mean, uh, it would be bleeped out uh, all day long. But I'm sure I'll get a chance to talk to him and, and you know say happy 65th or 70th or whatever old he is right We've now. We've stopped counting. Uh, yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. Like I mean, I, I just look at him and, and I count it in weight. Uh, <laughs> he's 240 now okay oh hey he's getting younger. 240 gordy oh, 240 gordy hey bruce thank you so much for your time your generous time and uh all the best to you the rest of the way all right thanks guys thanks bruce see we okay. kind of we, we we lost a personality he was doing great
in the media, and yeah. then Vancouver screwed it all up. Well, you know, he still talks pretty regularly. <laughs> this guy does his media rounds. Oh, God, that was funny. I really enjoyed, uh, would you say a word if you traded, if they traded away your three veteran players, and he said, I'd say you one know, word. I, I, <laughs> I, I, I forgot to mention, are you happy that the Leafs didn't want you as an assistant coach? <sighs> Were you going to say that? Yeah. Is that a thing? Is that like an established thing? He was offered an assistant coach position with the Leafs? No, was not offered. Was not offered. No. Really? Wanted it. And wasn't, oh, wow. He wanted it. I see. And they just didn't want to go like, down that path. Like, ah, we'll take the AHL guy. Well, they're doing pretty well. Well, first of all, we don't hear from the assistant coaches on the Leafs, right? True. So. That would have been bad we, for us. That would have been horrible for us. Yeah. We're like, what do you think Bruce is thinking? <laughs> we have a segment just called, what do you think Bruce is thinking? What do you think Bruce is thinking? I, I really like his answer about the, no superstars on their team. And he didn't mention Pedersen, and that st- stuck out to me. Yeah. And he did mention yeah. that he thought about him, but he's not someone that's an assumed superstar, which I think it was publicly. We all kind of assumed this guy was going to be Datsuk. Well, we just, uh, and sometimes it's for every step that you take, you got you got two steps back. And that's what's happened to, I think, Pedersen. Mm-hmm. He's got everything that you assume is going to be superstardom in his future, but it may take some time. Okay, as promised, former NHL and uh, now analyst on Daily Faceoff, Tim Peel, joining us now. Hey, Tim, thanks for joining us again. Hey, Kipper. Hey, Justin. First of all, uh, Justin, I haven't uh, had a chance to be on with you uh, since Clark passed away, and I wanted to pass my condolences on to you and Brianne. I know this is a difficult time. He was a tremendous man, and I had the pleasure of meeting him a, a few times, and and uh, I just wanted to let you know I feel for your family. I uh, appreciate that. That means a lot, Tim. Thanks for joining us today. No problem. Hey, Tim, I thought you'd be the perfect guy to bring on just to a conversation that Justin have, and I have had uh, uh, earlier on in the show, and it stems from uh, John Cooper last night. Level of frustration, no different than what we've seen in the past, uh, Tim, but now to a point where... It just seemed like, as that as that movie goes, boy, this escalated quickly here. <laughs> and he's actually thrown out of the game. And I'm just wondering, how did you see that play out? My understanding was there's nothing in the report that would suggest that there'd be further discipline, either a, a fine or a suspension. But he did get a abuse of the officials. But... How often did you throw someone out? How how close did you come to throwing guys out? I came close a few times, Kipper, but I, I actually, the only coach, and it killed me to do it, the only coach that I ever, kill, uh, that I ever threw out was, it was uh, in the American Hockey League, and Ricky Vive was coaching in St. John, and I was from St. John, and it was my first game back in the American Hockey League as, a, as an NHL contracted official, and I was excited, and Viver didn't like something that I did, and he emptied the bench with all the sticks. And and I and what was difficult about it was, you know, I'm 55 years old. I grew up, uh, you know, idolizing Rick Five, and uh, so him and I talked years after that and, and laughed about it. And and but you know what, I, I I John Cooper first of all, and I know this from personal experience, living in St. John or uh, St. Louis for the last 21 years. Coop was the first coach. His first coaching job was uh, with Kelly Chase and Brett Hull 
with the North American Hockey League team. And they were in Texas, Arkansas. They moved to uh, St. Louis. They became the St. Louis Bandits and won the championship in the North American League. And that's when that's where Coop's career took started to take off. But I talked to several officials that had him in different leagues uh, that that came up with him in the American League and and the USHL and so on. And John Cooper is the type of guy take beers down to the dressing room, invite the guys in after the game, no matter what happened. Coop respects the officials, but we see this this time of year. You know, we, I, I, I'm surprised it didn't happen earlier in February. We're in the second half. Things are heating up. Teams are losing. Teams are getting frustrated. I guarantee you John Cooper respects Wes McCauley a tremendous amount and vice versa. And I think Wes just at that point said, you know what, I've had enough tonight. And maybe maybe John was using it, you know, as a little rallying uh, cry to his team. But I can guarantee you that Wes and John today, if they were to talk, they'd have a great conversation and, and a respectful conversation. One of the things that Cooper talked about after that game, Tim, was that he was upset that um, Pittsburgh got an explanation. He felt like the ref went over and talked to their bench and he didn't, Wes didn't talk to him. Um, you know, did he get an explanation for why he got kicked out? Cooper said, oh, I just got the arm and he pointed. Um, you know, is there ever anything in a personal relationship where you're like, well, I don't like that coach. I'm not going to go talk to him. Or is it just a matter mm-hmm. of him reading too much into the way the explanation and, and the aftermath played out there? Yeah, no, I think you're right, Justin. It's it's just him reading too much into it because our officials, uh, first of all, Wes McCauley's considered, I consider him to be, and I think everybody else does, the best ref in the NHL. He has a great rapport with all the coaches, the players, and certainly he that wasn't uh, Wes's intention there was to, to slight John Cooper. You know, whether you've won two Stanley Cups or zero Stanley Cups, our officials are instructed to respect the coaches, go over and explain it to them. And I think I think John uh, probably just read too much into it. And, and, you know, his interview after, it's immediately after the game. He's still heated, and I guarantee you uh, he probably is thinking a little bit different about it today. You know, Tim, when we talk about the evolution of the game and, and where it's gone, whether we're talking about uh, equipment, technology, the quickness of our athletes today, the one thing that has been a constant is just the working an official. And whether you are John Cooper or anyone else, it doesn't matter what era. We just had Doug McLean on. And it just seems to me that that relationship between players, coaches, and the referee and what you can still say and how you work your, for your next call or just the, the amount of chirping that goes on on missed calls. And we see it in chat lines with the fans. And I'm, I'm just wondering how much of it has it not evolved because we are more sensitive today. We know that. But are we, are, are we sensitive enough to how these guys constantly get chirped? No, it's a great question. You know, it's been going on for, for 75 years, you know, as long as hockey's been going on, that coaches and players will, will try to influence the refs and work the refs to get the next call. And uh, in this case here, you know, I think, uh, you know, maybe Coop, Coop was setting this up for, for games down, down the road. You know, I, I heard him allude to that Pittsburgh, you know, doesn't take any penalties. And, you know, I, I can't comment on that. I think, 
uh, Sullivan does a great job in Pittsburgh, and they're obviously a disciplined team. But, yeah, you know, this has been going on forever, and, and uh, I don't think it's about to change. And I think, um, you know, the NHL, Coley Campbell and their department, they've done a good job. We don't want to take the emotion out of the game, and there's a difference between emotion and abuse. And I think with them finding a couple coaches this year, I think that they felt that the coaches just crossed the line and that they had to set a standard that, hey, you know, we, you can you can be emotional, uh, but you can't be abusive, and, and I think that the league's done a good job on that. Tim, I, I got to ask you, a, a lot of people are uh, certainly following you on social media. You, you made a, a, a tweet uh, about Mark Shifley. Uh, you talked about respect, zero respect for Mark Shifley. You, you spoke of the incident with Jake Evans and how he doesn't have much respect for the officials either. Can you just share a thought on where you were going or what point you were trying to make? Sure. So first of all, you know, my, my comments and I didn't really, maybe I should have thought more before I sent it because I really didn't think it would garner that much attention is it, there was, it was not meant to be disrespectful to Mark Chipman or the Winnipeg Jets. Um, you know, personally, I, I have a lot of respect for Mark Shifley, the player. Um, unfortunately I've, I've seen how he has interacted with me. I see how he's interacted with other officials. Um, and just because somebody doesn't swear doesn't mean that they can't be degrading to, to somebody. And, you know, I think that uh, what the fans, you know, I don't want to say need to realize because nobody needs to, has to listen to what I have to say, but, uh, you know, our officials are human, human beings and, and, you know, our job is to go out there and, and referee a safe and and create a fair environment for both teams. And it is not to go out there and get verbally abused every night. And 99.9% of the players in this league, you know, I could go on and on. The Joe Thorntons, the Patty Marlowes, the Anze Kopitars, and just guys that I still keep in touch with and, and that I that were just tremendous to me over my career. And and, you know, maybe I maybe I was a little shaded in my observation towards uh, uh, Mark because Weidman, who he fought, I've known since he was a, a minor hockey league player here in St. Louis. I'm good friends with his family, and but I I just think that I've seen him communicate with officials on the ice, and it's not something that I respect. And there's a way to get to get your point across, and there's a difference between. And my boss has always uh, talked about this, you know, whether we give an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty to a player is we have to differentiate as a referee the difference between abuse and emotion. Emotion is good. You know, I think I said on your show once before where Brian Boyle was yelling at me and the next shift he came out and apologized. And I said, don't you ever apologize. I said, we need more emotion. I said, I, I, I... but there's a difference between abuse and emotion. And I just think that the fans, for whatever reason, NHL officials seem to be a lightning rod in our sport. And, uh, and I don't under, I don't quite understand it, but maybe I do more so uh, in the last couple of years, since I've been coaching with Jamal Mayers here in St. John, as I see the way these parents at, at minor hockey rinks 
um, act and talk to referees and, and it's downright embarrassing and degrading to these young officials. So maybe I'm a little more sensitive about it now that I have a ref school in St. Louis and I just expect a level of respect to these officials that have families and they're out there. Uh, these are the best officials in the world and they're out there and they're doing a great job. So knowing that some, there are some players who are more prone to verbal abuse than others, how does a referee, and maybe they don't, but, but how, how do referees fight against grudges, holding a grudge and using it to sort of affect their, their calls? And, and I should just ask, sometimes do those grudges come through? Is it impossible to suppress them sometimes? Just go, I just don't like this guy, and you give them to no, like, uh, you know, Mark and I probably never really got along uh, that well, but I guarantee if you looked at any game tapes that I ever had with Mark, it certainly didn't influence how I refereed the the, the Winnipeg Jets. You know, I have a tremendous amount of respect for Shovel Day Off and Mark Chipman and Blake Wheeler and the, the other players there. So just because a player and I didn't get along, you know, there were, there were lots of other players that didn't get along. You know, I, I think I told you that David Clarkson called me after my incident and and, you know, he said, I know we never got along on the ice, but I respected you and I knew that our team was going to get a fair and and, uh, and safe game out there. So just because a player and an official don't doesn't get along, it doesn't influence how the game's officiated. And if it did, that referee's not going to be around very long and probably... God, you know... Uh, probably won't, won't work playoffs. Yeah, you know, you know I, I know it sounds... You, you're, you're speaking correctly, but... There's a, like you just talked about it moments ago. You guys are human, and I just I see that human element where you can just say enough's enough. I'm not taking this anymore. Well, and but there's sure, other ways to and, deal and with that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I there's some nights I came out and for whatever reason. I think it was uh, Richard Trache. I think who's mm-hmm. a hell of a guy, but I just thought he hated me. I just thought I, every right. time I breathed, he was, he'd look at me the wrong way. He thought I was, I don't know if it was a hit that I, I laid out earlier in a, in, a, in a series that he didn't like or a game, but they're just sometimes I think this guy's got it out for me and it, it, it has to go both ways, right? It, it does, but, I, but Kipper, a, guy, a referee that would referee like that, he's going to get called on the carpet by his bosses. You know, if there's flagrant fouls that are, that are being taken against you, for example, and in, in games that Richard Trache is officiating and they're not being called, he's going to be called to the carpet by, you know, at the time, Brian Lewis and, and so on. So yeah, our guys are human. Um, but we can also separate the, the human aspect to, Hey, our job, we're pros. And there were many guys. I remember Ryan Getzlaff. We we got along great the last couple of years. But Ryan Getzlaff, man, he's a warrior. He was tough to ref. He was tough on us. But I respected him because I knew what a great leader he was and, and so on. So you may not get along with a guy, but you still respect him. It doesn't mean that you don't like him as a person. I'm not saying that I don't like Mark Shifley as a person. That's the last thing that I'm saying. I'm just saying as an official I didn't like the way that he would communicate with me and other officials on the ice. And I thought I found that he could be very degrading. And there were times when I tried to build a relationship with him to get over that aspect, but he didn't have any interest in doing that. Jeremy, uh, Jeremiah Maxwell, just uh, 
put out a chat. I love the honesty from Tim Peel. Uh, we really appreciate we your candor uh, uh, in terms of uh, speaking of your situation with Mark Shifley and uh, bringing that human element uh, to our show uh, when it comes to referees uh, in the National Hockey League. Hey, Tim, thanks so much for your time. Thanks, guys. Have a great day. You too. Thanks, Tim. I put a, a bit of an interesting spin on it, didn't it? Yeah. Does it make you feel a little different about maybe the, the, the tweet on Mark Shifley? I guess a little. You know, if being dead honest, like I still feel it, it's probably too much, even if it's true. The, the tweet is a bit aggressive, but I've done that. Or sometimes you're trying yeah. to make a point and it comes off a little more terse than you would like. So but some of the things it's good to get background on yeah, it for and, sure. And I don't know in terms of what you can get away with and what you can't say today. He can say whatever he wants. He's I done. know, but like, I just remember my time on the ice. Vicious. At the ref. Yes. I was Vicious. A, I was a ref's best friend. No pims, yeah. chit-chat. Some guys could get away <laughs> with a lot more and others yeah. couldn't and uh, to each his own. But uh, certainly enjoyed that uh, conversation with uh, Tim Peel. That was very insightful. Okay, let's take a, a quick break here. We'll come back with some news and notes and uh, we'll get some... Uh, We'll get show to read some uh, tweets and hopefully answer some more questions. Yes. Also, text us at five ninety five ninety, and show will check your your text as well. Thank you very much. All right. After the break, real Kipper and Bourne still to go on Sportsnet five ninety. The fan. The code word for today's episode to text five ninety five ninety to qualify for your shot to win Leaf Seattle tickets on March eighth is Kraken. Breaking down the top stories in the NHL every day. The Jeff Mary Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're back. News and notes. Little interaction on Twitter. Where do you want to go first? Great question. We we should we can run through our news and notes if you like, or we can uh, actually. Why don't we start with show? We'll see if show did. Did we happen to get any texts in the break there? We did. We got a couple. Yeah, fantastic. Okay. Well, let's uh, welcome aboard show. Yeah, Thank you. Good to I was, hear you. I was, I was, when we opened up the show, I was going to say, um, you know, your insight has been like <laughs> so good, way better than Sammy's oh, yeah. ever. And then it dawned on me you didn't have any insight up until then. <laughs> It's okay. But, but welcome aboard. We're good to hear your voice. Um, what uh, what did people have to say or ask us in the break? Let's see. On the text line, we'll check there first. 590-590. Leave your name and location whenever you do text us. This is from Brian in Whitby. And he says, uh, hey, guys, love the show. Do you think the Leafs will make a trade for a top four defenseman by the deadline or a top six winger to play with Tavares and Nylander or maybe both? Thank you. Brian in Whitby. Thank you, Brian. So... I've actually seen this in my Twitter feed quite a bit today. So Dubas has the press conference today and he says, you know, they like their team. They're not looking to do anything actively, but if they do it, they're leaning towards defense. And I see some pushback in my feed, people being like, well, the goals dried up in playoffs the past couple of years. You know, they didn't score. They should have got Hall last year instead of Felino. people wanted. But, you know, there's a push that the Leafs scoring has been the issue in the postseason. Clearly they need a defenseman though still, right? Do your priority list. Yeah. And... I'm sorry, but the money's been spent to the point where consider yourself lucky for getting bargain basement players who are performing like four mm. and five million dollar players. Just be thankful for that. Yeah. Now, 
the game has changed. It's evolved. But for me, it's the same recipe over 100 years. You win Stanley Cups from the net on out, not the other way around. What are you saying? They're going to get a goalie or just no. they just need goaltending? Defense period. first. Okay. Defend. Okay. 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 You defend with a goalie and you defend with six guys yeah. on your blue line. That's how you win championships. He stated today he's not overly concerned about the goaltending. He's not going to get anybody else. He's not. I agree. Not a chance. He'll look like an idiot if he does. Unless he trades that Mrazic contract and gets Maybe. whomever. Maybe. I honestly wouldn't care less. But there's not a chance that someone's going to take a $3.9 million goalie without giving you some garbage, garbage contract back. Yeah. No one's just taking that on. No. I agree. I, I think this is a case of people overthinking the question about what the Leafs need. Well, maybe actually, well, actually, they need a you know forward. No, they need a defenseman. Right now, you got Lilligren, Dermott, and Sandine who are going to be your four, five, six guys. Is not good enough to win a Stanley Cup. This isn't a debate of whether those guys are good players or NHL players. It's are they good enough to be guys who play significant minutes in big situations in the playoffs. 2-2, Florida Panthers, game seven. Are you okay with those guys going out to defend? I'm not. And it's it's a much deeper conversation with Muzzin out because everybody just thinks, oh, no problem. We'll just get him to go through the regular season and come back in the playoffs, and then now we can go get a 4 or $5 million defenseman. And that's okay in theory, but the one thing you got to realize is that they may have needed to do that already with a healthy Muzzin. Yeah. So if, in fact, Muzzin, say, doesn't find his game and you go out there and and do trade for a guy like that, you may have to spend a a first-rounder and a prospect to do that. Mm -hmm. So in theory, you're just replacing the guy that you already have in Jake Muzzin. Yeah. Are you going to spend two first-rounders now because you need two of them? How dire is this for Kyle, like, if they don't win? How dire is it? Like, even trading for a guy to replace Muzzin might not, might not be enough. Yeah. But it's got to start there. You do have to start there. I agree. It has to start somewhere. Um, should you want to show, do you want to do the next one? Do you, there's a follow-up in the chat here from Chris Manos that says, who's the ideal D-man the Leafs should acquire? Do you have any suggestions for who the well, ideal one is? He's a left-handed shot, but Ben Sherratt comes to mind, and he had a great game in Two Calgary. Two goals last night, right? And Price goes up. He's, he's really the type of guy that Muzzin is for you. So would you have preferred Muzzin and Sherratt in the lineup at the same time, or is he coming in to replace Muzzin? I guess just get – I love – And hope that Muzzin comes back in the playoffs, and then now you yeah. have two of them. That'd be great. But if he I'll doesn't, two of them. if Muzzin doesn't come back and ever find his game, there's a chance Muzzin doesn't play again this year. There's a lot of chances here. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I People laughed at me when I said that might take eight or nine D to, to win four rounds for the Leafs once you lose salary cap handy, yeah. uh, handcuffs. But that's what it takes. Eight defensemen, including a few that can come in and play four or five games, but 
some nights like a Luke Shen, he might have to play 12, 14 minutes and, and be really good mm-hmm. at it. By the way, Labushkin's been very good so far, hey? I mean, he's only yes. played three games, but I've liked him. Yeah, uh, I, perfect. Yeah. As long as, you know, he, he, he reminds himself he's Labushkin Just- and not Labobby Orr. <laughs> He did take a couple of, you know, uh, ventured off the blue line a couple of times to to pinch in a couple. I was like, ah, stick to being safe. Uh, all right, Joe, we got another one? Uh, yeah, quickly, before we do another one, I did want to mention we are giving away a pair of tickets uh, to the March 8th game against the Seattle Kraken. Uh, all you have to do is download Friday's episode of Real Kipper and Born and listen for the different code words that will be placed in the podcast. The dulcet tones of producer Sam McKee will be the voice of those code words. And text each code word to 59590. You will be entered into a chance to win. Each code word counts as an entry. The winner will be selected on Mondays. There you go. Quick, some Seattle Kraken tickets for do, you. Do you think we can get show to do the reads all the time and just let... I mean, that's that was mint. That was really a flawless <laughs> performance on the read. You think Sammy just... Sammy just chunked one OB. <laughs> OB deep in the woods right now. He just flinched for whatever reason. Yeah. Uh, all right, show. What's up? All right. Well, a couple more guys on the uh, YouTube stream or YouTube comments. And Kipper has read a couple of their names throughout the show. Max's account, Jeremiah, Astrotyper, and so on. They, you guys were talking about Nick Robertson off the top of the show. And they were having some debates as to what Nick Robertson is worth. So if you are mm. trading, you were having the trade discussion just now. What are you dealing Nick Robertson for? What is he worth to you? It's a great question. What is Nick Robertson? So yeah. sh- I would say that is the shine off Nick Robertson as the guy who scored 55 times in junior because of injuries and sort of, you know, he was yeah. in the Leafs lineup in playoffs two years ago. What was Nick Robertson originally to the Toronto Maple Leafs? A second or a third? Nick Robertson. I don't think he was a first rounder. No, he wasn't. No. So... He was a uh, 53rd overall in the second round. Yeah. 2019. That's probably where I would start. A second or a third. I think That's a all year. you want back for Nick Robertson? No, you, I'm, just, oh. I'm, I'm not talking. Are we talking about uh, certain players or are we talking about if, well, what is his if value you were to give him away? Yeah. If you were to give him away uh, without getting a body back, I would put him in the place where you drafted him between a second and a third round pick. Hmm. Now, if you want to talk about prospect for prospect, I'd want one of your better scores who you question on the rest of your game, the, his game. So I guess for I, me, he has per- outperformed his draft slot. You know, after he was drafted, he scored. He had a huge season in junior and then played in the NHL in the playoffs. Right now, he's not a multi-tool prospect. No. He's a shooter. He is a tool prospect. He's a goal scorer shooter who has to learn the game at the pro level, be make better decisions, leave yourself less vulnerable mm-hmm. uh, positions. Can he turn himself into bunting? Can he score 30 goals in the NHL, you know, with just a shot? Is there anyone that one-dimensional? He definitely... So if if you're... If you're going to trade for a prospect, you know, you, whatever, whatever you deem, is he a, a B prospect? Is he an A minus, A, B, C yeah. prospect? You can trade him for another B prospect in another organization. That's well, how generally those trades he work. He is almost certainly going to be with a pick for so some bigger. Yes. He's going to be, we'll trade you our first with this yes. for your That's, Jacob Chikrin. 
that's the way I see it. I yeah. see him in a package that could include a first round. Yeah. All right. I think we're, yeah, that sounds about right. Um, do we have any more there, show? Well, you know, I wanted to ask you guys, if we're talking about prospects, where do you fall on keeping prospects and, you know, restocking the cupboard years down the line and trading them for a JT Miller, for a Ben Sherratt, right? Mm. Like Toby Niemla might be a good defenseman in, I don't know, right. four years, but is four years within the window the Leafs have? No, no, you, you are, the walls are closing in on this opportunity and it really should stem around the potential, dare I say it for those Leaf fans, Austin Matthews leaving in two years, two more years. Right. There, there's your window. They're going to pay him all of which it. Which might be fine. Yeah. But you've got to win now. Yeah. I, I would imagine that Kyle Dubas is feeling that, that pinch and knowing. Do you think that GMs genuinely get in a position where they say, I can't afford to worry about the future for this organization? Like, I have to look out for yeah, myself and the winning That would now. be a mistake from the higher-ups. And with, they want to get with, another job down the road. So, like, you left that organization in you've shambles. Got, you've got Bell and Rogers who own this team, okay? You got you to gotta keep them relevant. Oh, but Dubas doesn't have no. to care. Yeah, there, does I he? Think, yeah, I think there might be a few if people above. If he's going to get fired? No, there might be a few people above him that could help remind him that we want to win now, but you can't, you can't leave us like the Montreal Canadiens yeah. two years from now or three years from now. We can never bottom out like this. And you traded a first and a fourth for Nick Foligno, which was a disaster. You want to do it again this year and then get knocked out in the first round? And where do you think you're going to be in three or four years if you keep giving away prospects and first and second rounders. They gave up a third rounder for Riddich last year. And you know what? That's a big pick. Yeah. That's and- a huge pick for a guy that if you went to, it was too late anyways. I don't understand the third rounder for a third string goalie to sit in the stands. Wasn't he kind of a starter-ish at the time or at least someone who played... A few more of those trades. You weren't trades. sure about Freddie. You weren't sure about Jack. A few, a few more of those trades where you lose those potential new yeah. prospects to come into your system could be devastating for the next seven years for the Toronto Maple Leafs. It's crazy because all of his deals, I shouldn't say all of his deals, most of his deals he has won unless they're at the deadline. It's interesting is the Jake Muzzin deal. Now they got, uh, you remember they had the choice between Lilligren yeah. or Sean Dersey. Dersey has now played... 30-some games of the Kings this year. He's got 15 points. He's on the power play, and he fought last game as a right shot, six-foot right shot D. Trevor Moore, have you seen what he's done for the LA Kings? He's a player. Uh, I think he was leading them in scoring since <laughs> January. <laughs> I love Moore. I good, think he's a great player. Good pickup by LA. It but was. The, you got to make sure that there's a fine line for all general managers, just not Kyle, that you be careful falling in love with your prospects. Yeah. Because there's an element there that you want to look good. You want to look like the guy who bet on the right horse so you can be thought upon as a, a great eye for you, talent. You know what's a good example of this? If if you go to the analytics people, every draft pick has like a value. And the pick 
value of one to five is through the roof, right? One to five, and after 10, it kind of drops off. 15, it drops off, and then it's like, eh. You know, almost a crapshoot after that. So the analytics movement says once you're past 20, 30 picks, you're always better trading for volume over quantity. You never want to move up from 100 to 90. Yeah. doesn't make sense. So the Leafs traded the pick that was Travis Konechny for two picks right after it, which were Dermot and Bracco. So both those guys at the time looked like really, really good picks and, you know, could have been anything, whatever. I I believe I have the names there right, but like, you know, the better player came a little higher and is probably the better player still in a guy like Konechny. Certainly has the most value out there when it comes to two and a half weeks from now. Right. So, yeah, there's... Yeah, you always want to look like the smart guy, right? You always want to be the person who said, ah, well, we'll take uh, quantity over quality here, but yeah, don't try to overthink things. You guys want to end on this one since it's a Friday and then a fun one? The uh, Sportsnet moderator was asking people, uh, what was the first jersey you owned as a kid? And uh, I I thought that was fun. Some people had some interesting ones, like some some Trevor Lindens were in there. Uh, Mine was a Cobberley jersey. I I don't know about you guys. (laughs) Kepper, you got a first jersey? Oh, Daryl Sittler. Is that your first? Yeah. And it. I remember I was in grade six, and Kathy Osiello came in with a Leaf jersey. And I'm like, oh, my God. I don't even have a Leaf jersey. You don't even like them. And then she convinced me that she follows the Leafs a little bit. But I'm like, that's it. I have to get one right yeah. now. If she's got one, I got to get one right now. Yeah. You know, I think uh, people won't be surprised to know I had a lot of Bob Bourne jerseys growing up. Uh, it's probably not too game, shocking, my game, first one. Game worn. <laughs> game worn. Um, Mine was, my Daryl wasn't game worn. No. You know what? I The first jersey I remember having that was pretty cool, uh, IHL Radic Bonk, uh, Rabonculus, played for the Las Vegas nice. Thunder when my dad was coaching. Great week. Fun week. Really good. Our first full week on Sportsnet's YouTube channel. Our thanks to Bruce Boudreaux. Yeah. There it is. Doug McLean and former National Hockey League referee Tim Peel. Show, thank you very much. Yeah, thanks, Show. Good stuff, guys. Derek Brandeo, showing everybody you're still pushing the right buttons. And you, JB, always a pleasure, pal. You too, man. Have a good weekend. Give us a rating and review on your podcast. Have a safe weekend, everybody. We're right back here on Monday.